Welcome to my movies better. The triple threat battle of cinema. Created by Kevin Harden and Russell Stearns. Lisa looks hot tonight. Did you hear the door? Yeah. Hey, Johnny. Hey, hey Mike. Oh, hey, Danny. Hey, do you want to play some football? Just know a girl. She had a dozen guys. Anyway, how is your sex life? One of them found out about it, beat her up so bad, she ended up in a hospital on Guerrero Street. <laughs> I did not hit her. It's bullshit. What a story, Mark. I did not hit her. I gotta go see Michelle for a little bit. You make out with her. I did not. Oh, hi, oh, Mark. Mark. What's going on here? You can't be serious. Do you understand life? I just, I just like, like to watch you guys. You gotta tear me apart, Lisa! I definitely have breast cancer. You must be kidding, underwear. I got the picture. That's not the end of the story. I'm, I'm listening. Hi. Can I help you? Yeah, can I have a dozen red roses, please? Oh, hi, Johnny. I didn't know it was you. Here you go. Keep the change. Hi, doggy. You're my favorite customer. Don't touch me, motherfucker. It's over! It's not over! I feel like I'm sitting on an atomic bomb. Me too. Everybody betrayed me. Your wife. You know what they say. I fed up with his world. Tell us about an underwear. <laughs> underwear. What's <laughs> up? Tonight we are going to do a very special episode on uh, Tommy Wiseau's legendary bad movie, The Room. Uh, so I have a special guest tonight, Jamie LeBrun from Story Burst Podcast. Uh, you've heard him on a couple episodes before. And uh, so this is the first time he's seen the film. This is probably the 500th time I've seen the film. Uh, we'll be talking to him in the second part of this, and in the first part, I'm just going to give you some of my general thoughts about the movie, and uh, which is very dear, near and dear to my heart. So please enjoy this episode of My Movies Better, and uh, remember to like, share, and subscribe as always. You can find us everywhere, and don't forget, we have an awesome Facebook group with lots of great people. So, uh, if you're not a part of that, head over to facebook.com slash mymoviesbetter and join, as well as Twitter, Instagram, and all that good stuff. If you look us up on pretty much anything, you will probably find us. So, yeah, without further ado, let's get straight into Tommy Wiseau's The Room. Seconds into watching Tommy Wiseau's The Room for the first time, most viewers will notice that there is something wrong. And I'm not talking about the script or the acting or the other many technical problems that plague this film. No, I'm talking about the subtext, more specifically the subtext within Wiseau's own mind and to some extent even in his own life. A subtext of unsettling desire, crushing loneliness, and the fraying edges of reality tumbling into the surreal. You see, if you can look past these technical errors or assume that some are even intentional, a different picture emerges of what the film really means. And a lot of what the film really means has to do with Lisa. The first thing you can examine about the film is its structure. 
and more specifically, the repetitions of scenes, lines of dialogue, and character motivation. Tommy's script is constantly repeating itself, reinforcing this hidden internal theme that within the depths of loneliness, a human being will create a world around them in their head that satisfies the human desires for contact and external gratification. In these repeated scenes and motivations, we can see this. Claudette and Lisa have four or five scenes between them within the film that are, for the most part, a a repeat to the audience the same information. Lisa is not in love with Johnny. Claudette thinks Lisa should stay with him. Lisa doesn't want to talk about it, etc., etc. While in the original stage play script, the first scene is an argument between Lisa and Johnny, which helps set up the rest of the play, the film eschews this scene, which makes the change in Lisa's attitude from when we first see her to later even more dramatic and out of left field. This is the main center of surrealism leaking into an otherwise mundane plot, and it is mostly centered around Lisa. In fact, a better title for this film would probably be Lisa, since she motivates and drives most of the plot forward. Lisa rejects the reality around her as it is presented. She rebels against the hetero-economic system that literally everyone tries to explain is what's best for her, because she enjoys the chaos around her. I just wanted to make it more interesting, she says after faking a pregnancy. In fact, she craves that chaos because, as we see with all the scenes with her mother, she is bored out of her mind. That's even her reason for wanting to leave Johnny, that he's boring. But it's not really that Johnny is boring, even though he is. I'm going to take a nap. It is more that the notion of living a sedentary life causes Lisa great distress. And the defenses for staying with Johnny are all based on his status and his ability to provide for her, not on what is actually happening between them. In turn, all of what Lisa brings to the table is her aesthetic beauty, which is commented on by pretty much every character in the film. Lisa looks hot tonight. This equates Lisa's worth as a human with being a material possession and her superficial qualities, rather than anything tangible. Lisa is as much a possession to Johnny as anything else he owns, worth the same as his framed photos of spoons or his many, many fur blankets. For instance, take a look at two scenes. The second scene with Claudette in which Lisa tells her mother that Johnny had physically abused her, and the first scene with Michelle and Lisa. In the scene with Claudette, Lisa tells her mother that Johnny hit her, and her mother's response is not, oh my god, that's horrible, but rather she begins to immediately defend Johnny in his position as Lisa's caretaker. Claudette, it seems, could care less about the physical violence, even though, according to the canon of the film, I believe that Lisa is lying about it, and leaps to defend Johnny, and by extension, Johnny's upper hand. Lisa says he got drunk last night and he hit me, and Claudette's response is, Johnny doesn't drink. This is another theme that comes up a few times in the room, drugs and alcohol being used as symbols of moral excess and decay. Johnny drinks, that is what the movie thinks is morally wrong, and the assault is completely ignored. In this scene, Claudette repeats the defense that Johnny has given Lisa material stability, and therein lies another hidden theme of the room, wealth and possessions and their importance to a uniquely American success. The formula for thinking here breaks down to basically this. Johnny has given Lisa all of these gifts. He has used his capital to make her happy. She would not be able to survive without his financial backing. So why isn't she happy? Even in the face of spousal abuse, the character's default sort of thinking is to immediately question what it will, how it will affect them. In the scene with Michelle, this happens again, as Michelle helps reveal more of Lisa's motivation. 
But those same themes are repeated, and Johnny's status as breadwinner and provider are weighed against Lisa's happiness. Michelle also expresses that she is worried about what this will do to Johnny and the greater friend group, once again ignoring Lisa and her fake pregnancy, which is the real issue, to focus on a reality that is disconnected from the audience, which is what the characters do off-screen in their daily lives. There is never a moment where a character expresses concern for Lisa without mentioning how it will affect Johnny, and therein lies the rub. This repetition serves to almost gaslight Lisa, to drive her to the point of lashing out chaotically to escape from Johnny's grasp. But it also blurs a line between what is reality and what we think is reality. If we are to simply acquiesce and submit to what Wassell wants us to believe, then we are expected to agree with his side of the story. And when characters say Lisa is evil, she wants to destroy Johnny, we are expected to nod our heads accordingly. Instead of looking further and realizing that Lisa has every right to want to leave, she has been boxed in on, on all sides by her friends and family, expected to stay with him even though she is unhappy. While Lisa's mercurial behavior rules most of the plot, the real reality of the room actually relies within Tommy's own head. As I said at the top, this is a film about crushing loneliness, the kind that I believe was so endured in his own life and may have even led to this play slash novel slash film. You see, Wiseau lived within his own reality, and that reality had been heavily influenced by American pop culture, especially movies and television. Therefore, his reality follows a formula, the same formula that you would see for a film hero or a television main character. And that formula separates good and evil into two distinct categories. The good that is Johnny, his generous nature, his status, his father figure role to Denny, and the evil that is Lisa rejecting him. These two are then threaded together with the gray, murky area that is Mark. Mark plays both sides, and the film portrays him as being seduced by Lisa, but deep down inside still loyal to Johnny. This tears the character between both good and evil, and eventually culminates in Mark rejecting Lisa and realizing how bad she really is. However, even though this is again how Tommy thinks other characters would view this moment, it is viewed through Tommy's own eyes. I think at this point it would be pertinent to think of Johnny and Tommy as ne nearly, if not, the same character. As it has been noted that the film is somewhat biographical, and also it is quite obvious that the script is lacking in nuance. So it would, I think, be safe to assume that the events that take place in the film can be viewed as Tommy, unaware at how most people would view such a scenario, writing himself into that character. It's the same with many characters in the room and their obsession with Johnny. They're not real, fully formed characters. In a way, they're reflections of Wiseau himself. And that is why they are more concerned with themselves, i.e. Johnny, than they are with Lisa or literally any other thing in the film. And that is because of being alone. Being so disconnected from a normal human social interaction and at the same time inundated with pop culture and television and movies that created this monster within Wiseau. And this monster would be unleashed in the form of the script. It is manifested in Lisa and Mark at first, in that Lisa's motivation is only understood in the film from Johnny's limited perspective, and how Mark remains sympathetic even in betrayal, again due to Johnny's feelings about him and his need to have a friend. Lisa's act is unforgivable, while Mark can be redeemed in Johnny's eyes, a very masculine perspective for a man asking, what did I do wrong? which at the same time accepts no responsibility. 
It's not Lisa that is tearing him apart, but his own inability to breach a social divide that stands between him and others. So basically, it's Neon Genesis Evangelion. He's struggling to tear down his AT field or the walls in his heart. And there are other characters who symbolize this loneliness even more, which brings me to Denny. We need to talk about Denny. Denny is a young, mentally feeble, homework-neglecting, apple-snacking, drug-buying, dealer-ripping-offing sort of perverted protege and male ward to Johnny. Or at the very least, he can be seen as a stand-in for Johnny's son, in a film where Wiseau could have easily given his character a son. This rather odd choice for a film to take shows us another look into Wiseau's mind when writing. Denny is put in the film to achieve really two goals, one more important than the other. The first is most obvious, to be the protege to Johnny and to build his character up as a good guy and establish his generosity. The second, and even more important, is to be taught by Johnny in a scene that feels meaningless. Taking place directly after two of the most famous lines in the film, Oh Hi Mark and the Guerrero Street monologue, you might miss the rooftop conversation between Denny and Johnny in which Denny expresses his love and desire for Lisa. Johnny explains that the natural feelings of love for one's friends, Denny decides to essentially pull a Johnny and trap his girlfriend into the same cycle of unhappy existence that Johnny trapped Lisa within, which causes Johnny to laugh, which he does a lot, before they decide to go home, which is a repetitious line used several times by characters to end a scene, usually by Johnny. That bit there about trapping his girlfriend? Therein lies the rub once again. Johnny has taught Denny how to be like him, he passed down knowledge to Denny and is leading Denny down the same path that Johnny and Wiseau believe is the best course of action. And Denny has studied Johnny. I like to watch you guys. And Lisa. Lisa is beautiful. That is because what Denny really is in the context of this film is to be a reflection of Tommy's desire to be heard. He could materialize as many things. An adoring public, critical acclaim, fame and fortune, or even simply the child that Wiseau missed out on having. In the reality of the room, Johnny is a young man, on his way up in the world, about to be married and become an adult. In the reality of reality, Tommy was a man in his late 30s, his actual age remains a mystery, if not his late 40s, who may have been struggling with the idea that his time had passed him by. According to Greg Sestero, Mark, from his book The Disaster Artist, Wiseau worked at a variety of jobs in the San Francisco Bay Area, including a restaurant, busboy, hospital worker, and others before making the film. And as I will mention later, he also sold irregular blue jeans, which made him apparently independently wealthy. However, Sestero also admits that the idea of Wiseau becoming wealthy so quickly via those jobs, uh, he, the jobs he claimed to have had, is so unlikely that he himself finds it impossible to believe. On several occasions, he suggested that many people involved with the creation of the room believed that film was uh, some part of a money laundering scheme for organized crime, but Sestero himself considers this unlikely. What we do know is that at this point in his life, Wiseau had achieved so much, yet was still alone, unable to fully communicate what was inside him with the world outside him. So what Johnny is wrestling with in the film isn't the affair of his future wife and his best friend, he's wrestling with reality, and through the script trying to force reality upon a world without it. It's another story in Sestero's book, which is subsequently added as a scene in the film The Disaster Artist, has us watching Tommy in his and Sestero's acting class. In this scene, Tommy is generously overacting one of the most famous scenes from Tennessee Williams' American masterpiece, A Streetcar Named Desire. 
When the acting teacher tries to show Tommy that the way he is going about the scene is over the top and incorrect, Tommy vehemently disagrees, turning it back on the teacher and explaining his view of what is important about the scene and how it should be acted. It kind of reminds me of that scene in The Office when Michael Scott auditions for a local play by reenacting the whole of a Law & Order episode. Both scenes leave you with the same impression. Wiseau's over-the-top acting technique, his unusual physical appearance, his indefinable accent, and eccentric behavior are intriguing for sure, but they mask the true ethos underneath that exterior, why he's really making the film. Sestero also mentions that Wiseau had told him that he had been in a near-death experience type of car wreck, and so that could have a lot of bearing on what he did later. Many people I've heard refer to Wiseau and his character as an alien that studied human movies before creating its own, making the room a classic fish-out-of-water tale. Tommy himself reportedly played around with the idea of revealing that Johnny was a vampire, but the idea was scrapped. Strange thing is, from a certain perspective, he really is an alien, an alien to America. So if we look at it through that lens, what the room really is about is the immigrant experience. Johnny adapted the trappings of being an American, just as Tommy did with his own life. He drives the nice car, he has a steady job, buys gifts for his wife, takes care of his friends, and spreads his newly acquired wealth with generosity. But the characters in the film, and to a greater extent, we, the audience, as Americans, see him as the outsider he is. And the room is him trying to show us that this is a struggle from a first-hand perspective, through the surreal ebbing at the corners of reality. And maybe that's the thing that makes it most enduring, entertaining, and interesting to this day and beyond. That brings me back around to Lisa, who to me is the central character of the film. And in fact, I'll say it again, the film should have been called Lisa. Or Chris R. I would have liked to see what had happened to Chris R in all reality. Even Johnny pales in comparison, and yes, that was a joke, to Lisa. Lisa is so important because she is a way, in a way, a window into Wiseau's state of mind. According to Cicero, the character of Lisa is based on a former lover of Wiseau's, with whom he intended to propose marriage with a USD $1,500 diamond engagement ring. But because she betrayed him multiple times, their relationship ended in a breakup. He goes on to define the script as an advisory warning about the perils of having friends. And as Wiseau's life study of human interaction, which deals also with additional themes of trust fear, and death. Lisa was played by the actor Juliette Daniel, who was being called in as a replacement and, to put simply, did not have a great experience working with Wiseau. It is in no way funny or okay that Wiseau threw her into a sex scene with himself, nonetheless, seemingly minutes after stepping on set, or that he verbally berated and abused her and others, or any of the other less than positive stories that have come out about Wiseau in the years since the film was released. What's interesting here is that you can see some of that in her performance, a true disdain that is easy to summon and makes her acting some of the best in the film, a film known for being some of the worst acting of all time. So hats off to Juliette Neal, a true American badass. American badass. Welcome to the My Movies Better Hall of Fame. Next, in part two, I'll sit down with my special guest, Jamie Lebrun, who was watching this film for the first time, and we'll talk a little bit about that experience and also elaborate on some of these themes that I talked about in this beginning part. So we'll be right back.
Hi, babe. <laughs> oh, hi, Danny. I'm going to take a nap. Can I go upstairs, too? <laughs> something else to do? I just like to watch you guys. Benny, two is great, but three is a crowd. <laughs> you are my fantasy dream come true. What's wrong? Tell me. I don't love him. I'm your girl. Johnny's my best friend. <laughs> Hi. Can I help you? <laughs> yeah, can I have a dozen red roses, please? <laughs> oh, hi, Johnny. I didn't know it was you. <laughs> Here you go. That's me. <laughs> How much is it? It'll be $18. Here you go. Keep the change. <laughs> hi, doggy. You're my favorite customer. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Bye. I don't have to worry about that because Lisa's loyal to me. Yeah, man, you never know. People are very strange these days. I used to know a girl. She had a dozen guys. One of them found out about it, beat her up so bad she ended up in a hospital on Guerrero Street. <laughs> what a story, Mark. <laughs> Part of my life, you are everything. I could not go on without you, Lisa. You're scaring me. You are lying. I never hit you. You are tearing me apart, Lisa! Lisa. All right, so uh, I'm going to welcome in my guest now, Jamie up? LeBrun from the Storyverse podcast. Uh, we've heard him on several episodes mm. before. How you doing, man? I'm all right. How are you? Pretty good. Uh, so this was the first time you've seen The Room. Uh, yes. Welcome to the <laughs> club of people who have seen The Room. Oh, thank you. Uh, we'll see if... Oops. I always do this. I did this the last time I put these on, too. Fucking up, man. Uh, yeah, so this was, as I said, uh, your indoctrination into the world of Wiseau. Um, and uh, so I guess I'll give you the floor here for a sec. What uh, What do you think? Um, <sighs> well, I think I just told you earlier, and it kind of made me feel like he made this movie to build himself up after something happened to him like yeah it was just like almost like a revenge film or something like made like his ex or whatever whatever happened is it actually based on a true story or is it just like the uh the, the well, life the um youtube trying to hide the name of yeah it was kind of it's semi-autobiographical uh as you guys you listeners heard in part one um according to greg sestro uh, there was a woman that Tommy was going to propose to mm. with like like a $1,500 ring, diamond ring or something like that. And a and there, the quote from, because, okay, this is all from, again, this is more for you. I already went, I went over this in part one. So for audience members, but for you uh, who I didn't, you do not know this yet. I, um, in uh, 
in the book the disaster artist which is written by greg sestro who plays sestero who plays uh mark in the movie okay i used to know a girl she had a dozen guys one of them found out about it beat her up so bad she ended up in a hospital on guerrero street <laughs> what a story mark who's also like kind of tommy's best friend in yeah, the world yeah. he said that tommy said that they split up he broke up with her or something like that after she betrayed him many times mm. so yes i think this is uh, i got revenge out of it like i really think he managed yeah. for like yeah like if tommy had been a guitarist he would have just written a revenge album right <laughs> like you know yeah about lisa the bitch um and also uh i think that in general it is because one of my personal thoughts about it is that the film is, uh, without trying to be, it's a film about the Im- immigrant experience um, because Tommy remains this weird alien yeah. in the American world that he's trying to fit into. So I always found that like an interesting way of looking at the film. You know, like he's an outsider. He also, he also looks like 30 years old than everybody else in the movie. 30 really i would say like 40 okay <laughs> i get right. i get what you're saying yes they all look like they're in their 20s maybe early 30s and he looks like he's in his mid 40s possibly yeah. 50s yeah uh, yeah almost 50 well also like a bit of background for you on tommy uh there it's very hard to find information about him he's uh very secretive about his past and his personal life hmm. um so it's hard to find like i said it's hard to find information on him and I don't even think it's known what his actual age is. He says he was born in the late 60s, but that's likely untrue. He's probably born in the 50s. Is he like a real person? Is he a real person? Yeah. Yes. I mean, yes, he is. It just seems so like far fetched to be that like secretive and like, well, like why? What's re- he trying to hide? Is he just not? Is it just that's who he is? Like he just doesn't really care about sharing who he is or just. Uh, well, I don't know about that. I mean, that's something – because here, here's the thing. There's a bunch of different theories about uh, about Tommy and where he came from. And uh, here's another thing you probably didn't know. This movie, Tommy spent $6 million on out of his own pocket. There's like one set. Yeah, it's like just pretty much that living room. And Movies the are still expensive, regardless of Speaking where of rooms, you shoot them. Though. Why is it called the room? Um, Do you have uh, any idea? okay. <laughs> to answer as many of your questions as I can, uh, according to Tommy, it's because a room can be the uh, the place where a bad and a good thing happens. I think is what he said in an interview, something along those lines. Uh, I think okay. it's essentially the fact that. So much. Well, so much of the of the the plot takes place in that red walled room. Yeah, that's my way of explaining it to people. Uh, But it could easily be also just called the house because so much else takes place around it. It's just the fact I think that like you know so many of the conversations, uh, you know between the characters and the events of the affair, and Tommy finding out about the affair. And the party and the confrontation between Mark and Tommy all happen in that same living room, I guess you could call it. Yeah. Also where Tommy gets drunk uh, yeah. and yeah. allegedly hits Lisa. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
so I think that that would that would be the best way to try to PR it for Tommy. Okay. Um, in all honesty, yeah, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense as a title. I actually, again, I'm going to be referencing the first part of this a lot because you not being able to have heard it, you're not going to you know know all this stuff I already went over. Mm. But um, I th- personally think the movie should be called Lisa, not really? The Room. Okay. Yeah, I mean, what what is the most important thing in the movie? It's the drive. What is the the driving thing of the plot? You know, is her being shady and like. I don't have to worry about that because Lisa is loyal to me. Yeah, it's Lisa. Not even just what she does; it's her in general. Yeah, you yeah. know. Think about it like this: How many characters? When you think about it, you see more back, of her than you do of him. Actually, in that's the movie. for that too. But also, how many characters do you notice comment on Lisa's appearance? Like every single one of them. Yeah, there's literally that one guy who has one line, and it's just Lisa looks hot tonight. <laughs> mm-hmm. Lisa looks hot tonight. Like, you know, people are constantly calling her beautiful. They're constantly, uh, you know, commenting on her in an aesthetic way. And I don't know. It just feels like that's. Yeah. But that's like this, you know, in a a movie like that, like, okay, you didn't they didn't call Jaws like three guys on a boat fighting a shark. They should (laughs) have, you know, or or even just three guys. Hey, go see this movie. Three guys. It's about three guys hunting down a shark. No, you name it after the inciting thing. You name it after the shark. You name it after Jaws. You know, fins. Like why? Should also. uh, I want to mention for listeners, we are we have this movie on in the background right now. Yeah, and we're at sex scene one of five. There's a nipple. Yeah. Yeah, so, one of five. Like the entire like forty-five minutes is just yeah, and they keep coming. Too. I mean, like there's literally one of my one of my favorite sequences in this literally, movie um, of just in sheer stupidity it, of like how it's it's put together is the scene where Lisa and Mark hook up, and then there's a brief interlude, and then they hook up again. Yeah, and it's like two sex scenes in a row, like back to back. But I think one of them is the one where Lisa gets they get interrupted by the the friend and then like so the, the actual sex scene doesn't happen. But it's like we just had a sex scene and after like two lines of dialogue we're about to go into another sex scene. But yeah, so there's a problem though with this, and it's the fact that uh, so Juliet Danielle, Danielle, however it's pronounced, who plays Lisa, when uh, she, this was like her first day on set, according to the actor who played Peter, I think, or um, I'm not sure, the guy at the end, whatever his name was, I don't even think it's uh, yeah, said. Yeah. The guy who's like, "What are you doing in here?" That he yeah. just walks into the movie. Um, he said that that the sex scene happened. It was the first scene that she shot. And, uh, it was literally Tommy just like threw her into it. And it's very, very unprofessional and not cool. However, Greg says that, uh, that's not the case. And the sex scenes were some of the last they shot. So I don't know what the truth is. People argue about it online about whether or not he's a monster. I personally think Tommy is a little bit of a monster. How can they say this about me? I don't believe it. I show them. I record everything. Yeah. Um, um. If, and I think you can see a little bit of it in Juliet's performance. There's a bit of like real uh, hatred yeah. that leaks through. So 
Um, the plastic roses. Oh, so th- yeah. this film is interesting because, like I said, Tommy made this with six million dollars of his own money. Some people claim who worked on it claim that they thought like so. I'm not saying that they had evidence of this. This is just a theory that people who worked in the movie were kicking around, or that it was like a money laundering thing for like the mob or something, uh, to to launder six million dollars yeah, or something. I say that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, but okay. Um, the other thing is that according to... Oh, he doesn't like to talk about his past, right? Well, according to Greg's book, he made a bunch of money selling irregular jeans. Irregular jeans? Yeah. And before that, he was like... He like sold bird figurines on the wharf in San Francisco and was called the Birdman. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, and a lot of what we know about Tommy literally comes from Greg's book, which is fantastic. You should check it out. Actually... If you get the audiobook version of it, it's Greg Cicero reading it, which is pretty cool too. Mm. And he does a really interesting, like he he does Tommy's voice every uh, time. It's called a disaster. Yeah, the disaster. And they made that into a movie as well with James Franco and uh, his brother. But um, so yeah, the movie itself is is weird because you have a guy who's kind of like the sole creative influence behind it, and I do believe that Tommy believes he's a a genius or did at he least... write it all? Did he write it all like the script? Yes. Okay. Yeah, okay. So he wrote the script as a play first, a stage play that is uh similar yet vastly different in a lot of ways. Um like and you can actually you can get the script online on a PDF for the play. Um for instance, it starts completely differently. It starts with Tommy and Lisa having a fight, which then leads into the first scene in the movie where he's coming back with flowers and, and stuff. Oh, yeah. Like, so it kind of makes that make more sense. Yeah, oh, yeah, with the, with the dress, right? Yeah. Like, he's buying her a gift because they got into an argument. Um, and it also shows that Tom, it, the play shows more that I keep calling him Tommy. I should call him Johnny because yeah. really character. it's the character. But but in the movie, it becomes Tommy to me. So I think yeah, it's an interchangeable yeah. name. But yeah, in the play, his character is a lot less uh, 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 automatically sympathetic as it is in this mm. in the movie. Because like one of my favorite things about the movie is how. You notice how everybody cares like so fucking much about how anything everything's gonna affect Johnny. Yes. Yeah. Like they don't they care more about how it's gonna affect Johnny than they do like themselves. Their own lives. Yeah. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. Like, did he write it and he, like kind of like made it to build himself up like or something like? I don't even know if I don't think it's yes, but not I mean, as all a the writing choice. is like praising him like totally. But I think it's not as a choice. Like, that's an unintended consequence of not being a good writer. How can they say this about me? I wonder if he just actually made, like, Johnny, thought of Johnny as himself, or did he, like, kind of... No, I think the analogy made I made earlier about writing a song about a girl that broke yeah, up with okay, you yeah, is sort works. of, like, that's sort of, I think, what this is. Because also, another story from the book is that he told Greg he had been in a car accident, um... In some time before they met, before the movie was made, and uh, that he thinks that that was like a motivating factor in Tommy's life. It was like a near-death experience, and he decided to like go live his dreams. Mm. But I, so I think this is like, uh, uh, I think this is an old wound 
sort of deal, like something he's been carrying around for a long time. And since he had already, because like, all right, so he wrote a play and he shopped the play around to people. Then he tried to turn it into a novel. And I believe that he did actually have, there is actually a novelization. I think you can only get it online. I didn't really look into it much Mm. of the room. And then, then tried to make it into a film. So I, I really think this is like one of those, it's a passion project. Okay. And he really believed that it was an important film. And I think it's important for reasons that like have nothing to do with Tommy. Yeah, of course. Uh, You actually made a comment. You texted me that kind of like hit exactly on what I'm going at. When you said something about like how you, you, how you felt about reality. I was questioning reality while I was watching it. This movie is like a movie where a surrealist film is trying to break through a film that takes place in reality to me. Hmm. Like that, like there's a surrealism lapping at the edges of reality. It's like you're watching something that's real, okay. but it's not at the same time. Tragedy uh-huh. on my hands. Yeah. Me and Michelle, we were, we were making out, uh, at your place. <laughs> and, um, Lisa and Claudette sort of, uh, walked in on us in the middle of it. But that's not the end of the story. Oh, go on. I'm, I'm listening. Okay. We're, go- we're going at it. And, um, I get out of there as fast as possible. You know, I, I get my pants, I get my shirt, and I get out of there. And then about halfway down the stairs, I realize that I, I have misplaced. I, uh, I've forgotten something. Mm-hmm. Uh, my underwear. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I come back to get it, you know, uh, and I pretend that I need a book. You know, uh-huh, I'm looking uh-huh. for my book. And then I, I reach in and put the underwear in my pocket and sort of slide out real quick. Uh-huh. Well, Claudette, she saw it sticking out uh-huh. of my pocket. So uh-huh. She pulls it out, mm-hmm. and she's uh, showing everybody me underwears. You must be kidding, underwear. I got the picture. Yeah, I don't know what to do. Yeah. That's life. Nah. Yeah. Hey, Johnny. Like one of the best examples I can give you is repetition, okay? The, how come every single scene with Lisa and her mother is exactly the same scene pretty She much? always shows up, and then she has to leave. Yep. Like, And every single conversation, it feels like, ends with, I don't want to talk about it, or let's go home. Yeah. Like there, And it's not just one character repeating it. It's several characters across different scenes doing similar mm-hmm. things. Um, and like I think a football. lot. Like football. Well, because my, my big like thesis about this movie is that this movie is about loneliness. And, and deep down inside, it's really Tommy's loneliness. Yeah. Uh, and that's why the only two fully realized characters or three, I should say, fully realized characters that make sense and that follow a plot that makes sense are Johnny, who's based on Tommy, yeah, Lisa, who's based on someone Tommy had been with, and Mark, who's based on Mark, uh, Greg, who is his real-life friend. And actually, they, they were roommates. They li- He lived in Tommy's apartment in L.A. Yeah. for a while. So that, to me, speaks a lot to the fact that the other characters are all sort of just like mouths for Johnny and they, they keep and and even the ones that are most fully realized like Lisa and Mark they're not as realized as Johnny is and they're all so still so concerned even if even in Lisa's case where it's obviously the uh, the reverse of being concerned about him but they're so fixated on Johnny just like someone who is fixated on themselves would yep. be so I think it's a very yeah. self-centered movie made by someone who was not around a lot of people not by choice either 
I see what you're saying. Yeah, I think he's a he was a lonely guy. It's like a representation of his mind, pretty much. Like, mm-hmm. yep. And I think how every he views film. himself and the world around him is just all right. about like it's so close and like. And I think every film can be viewed. It's almost narcissistic. It's very narcissistic. Oh yeah. And I think every film can be viewed that way as a reflection of the director's mind because in a lot of cases that's what directors do even though you have cinematographers and script writers yeah, and casting. The universe is a little bit bigger though in their movies like, like right. this is like you said is very close very closed off mm-hmm. just like the characters mm-hmm. are all around him like right. it's but like you said, every no every art tour director as they call them does this like if you think about let's say Harmony Corrine um shout out to Samantha Rowe who likes Harmony Corrine a lot hey, his Sam. movies like kids Gummo, uh, uh, the one with James Franco that's like Riff Raff, Spring Breakers. There's a there's a commonality in those films. There's a commonality in those films where they feel like they take place in the same universe. Best example is Tarantino, probably. Okay, yeah. Or at least most accessible example. Um, And it's like they've decided they're going to do something a certain way, and they're going to do it that way. And so it becomes like a reflection of what's actually going on in their head when they're writing a a, a movie, you know? David Lynch, another great example of a director who does that. Um, I think Greta Gerwig as well. She's she's a director who her, like, script, the script comes to life in her mind, and then that hits the screen, you know? Uh, Tommy isn't a great director, but he is doing that. He is an artur director trying to do that with his film. And it's just hitting different buttons than most filmmakers usually hit. And I think that you can really look at this as like a, in, in a totally different way and see like that there's a there's an importance to this film that is totally unintentional. Hmm. You know, like there he, he didn't set out to make a black comedy that would become legendary that would probably be, be immediately be hailed as probably the best bad movie ever made yeah um i still think i mean it's, it's not getting seen though people are seeing it people are watching. oh yeah it is oh yeah it's, it's and it's still it's one of those things that like you mention it to someone you just mention it online like on a forum or something yeah. and all of a sudden you have like 10 people responding with just lines from the movie mm-hmm. you know because they're it's so memorable and another interesting thing about that, about why the lines are so memorable, is that Tommy insisted a lot of the lines, almost all of the lines, be read exactly how they were written. <laughs> so think about that when you're hearing a line yeah. that like, is ridiculous. It's like, oh shit, that's what was written. That's a, that is not like the actor fucking up. That is the script. Because yeah. I think that's the the other thing that's crazy about this movie is that the acting is terrible, but the actors yes. aren't bad actors. Okay. It's just the way it was written. Like it's the way it was written. It's the way it's being directed. Yeah. You know, a good actor can be directed into being a bad actor. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Or or can be given such bad material that they can't do anything with it. You know, I don't think any of these actors are like necessarily like terrible. Like say you see in like a Neil Breen movie where you literally have characters who are like not actors at all. They've never acted. They're just reading lines off a cue card. Like these are people who are like. They've been on stage before. They've been in plays at least. Like they've been to a th- an acting class. Mm. It's actually where Tommy and uh, and uh, Greg met was in an acting class, and he was drawn to Tommy because he was ridiculous and he did ridiculous things. He was like, "This guy's interesting though. Like I kind of just want to like, I want to know him. I want to know like wh- where where he's coming from." 
and I mean this this movie I think has a legendary quality because of that because it's made so ineptly um and so uh but with such dedication to the ineptness so it, like it's like it's a movie that like is like no this is exactly how this is supposed to go this isn't it, it's not shot with a bad camera you know what i mean it's done yeah. by like a, a experienced crew who knows what they're doing and shit like that and uh so well, the camera is not uh, the camera except for the um well, it has nothing to do with the camera but uh the roof with the little tin thing yeah. that they walk in and out yeah and and the fact that that's it clearly an awful, doesn't go anywhere yeah that's also an awful green screen like if yeah, you really know, start yeah, you could, if you start looking at the background you're like wait is this just like a random building in the middle it looks of, like, like istanbul park? or something it was like <laughs> it is somehow san francisco but like so you mentioned earlier like when i mentioned how much money was spent on this movie like holy shit how basically you were saying like how much how could you spend that amount of money mm. well it's because he were he had hired a professional crew he replaced that crew several times. Oh shit! And there was a second unit. This movie was shot in L.A. with a second unit doing shooting for B-roll on location in San Francisco. Oh, yeah. That's why he spent. That's how you spend this, how much money. Another great story. The, the the book is full of stories. Like I'm this really. I'm as much promoting disaster artist as yeah, right. as the movie because if. I'm assuming a lot of people who are listening to this have seen the movie. If you haven't, like, got to go get it right now. In fact, if you really want to, there is a link I can I can send you. So if you're a good enough no. friend of mine and you message me, I'll give you the link. But you should put uh, it in the show notes, right? Maybe not. No, I'm not gonna put it in the show notes okay. because then it might. It, it, I don't want to promote it too much and get it taken down. So this is just for the, the chosen see. few uh, who actually okay. listen. Um, but yeah, so uh, it's like. Uh, I'm trying to think what I was gonna say. Oh right, right. Um, when when they were making the movie, Tommy had all these like insane ideas that keep coming up in the book and stories. Uh, but one of the first ones that I love is that he got two cameras. He bought them. Okay. No one does that when well, they're making a movie. Martin Scorsese doesn't go buy cameras. You rent cameras for thousands and thousands of dollars. He bought two rigs, one 35 millimeter film, one digital, and then had built a special housing to attempt to shoot both movies at the same time on two different types of film. So it would be the first movie ever to to have done that for no fucking reason whatsoever. It's there's no reason to do that. It's like pick one, waste just a waste of money right off the bat. Um, he did do it. However, the only cut you'll ever see is the film version. Uh, the digital version has never been released. Huh. I don't even know if he still has it. He might still have it. But so uh, so that's the first thing of Tommy's grocery list like <laughs> of <laughs> shit. Uh, number two, he uh, at one point wanted he toyed around with the idea of turning tommy or revealing that tommy's or johnny mm-hmm. was a vampire i can see that and he was trying to happen. find out a way for the, the the special effects crew to make it seem like his bm or his mercedes i'm sorry his mercedes benz the white mercedes benz yeah was flying <laughs> above san francisco i mean just look at him though yeah, that's, I mean, vampire. vampire he screams vampire. Yeah, he's pale. 
He's got Black long hair. hair. Like, He's got a naturally craggy, creepy-looking face. Sunglasses. So, yeah, I guess let me ask you some questions. So the real reason I gave you all this background here. Um, so I want to ask you some questions about what you think about this movie. Uh, so Go for it. What, 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 is like your, what was like your initial reaction to Tommy when he first was speaking in that like first scene? It didn't seem like his voice. Cause I know it's like dubbed or yeah. something like he. Yeah, it, they call it a uh, ADR automated dialogue re- replacement. Oh, okay. Um, where you you don't have a good, clear cut of the person speaking, so you have to go back in and or just to to change what they said and mm. and du- yeah, most people call it dubbing, but uh, ADR is is I like to call it ADR when especially when it's really bad. And it doesn't even sound like close to what the character is doing. Yeah. Because to me, like dubbing is more like when it's in a different language and you're translating yeah, it. I know. You mean, yeah. Yeah. To me, uh, yeah, ADR is when it's in the same language, but it's just the dialogue is so bad or so unusable they have to actually replace it. Hence the replacement. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I guess when I first saw him, I th- for, first of all, I thought he was sleepwalking because his eyes were like closed and he was walking. <laughs> And, uh, dude okay one of my favorite parts in the movie is when fucking the, he's having the conversation with peter the psychologist friend yeah and he goes he goes the doorbell rings and he's like did you hear that and then there's like a pause and tommy goes yeah <laughs> like but there's like a long fucking pause in between there's a lot of that there's in the in the scene in the same in the same room later where they're all in tuxes yeah. before they play football and tommy like seems like he's about to pass out he's like hey what's up mark what yeah. are you doing, baby face? You look like a baby face. Like, it's, uh, yeah, he is, uh, I think that's also, though, because Tommy, Tommy did not have the best experience making this film from what it seems like reading the book and therefore made the rest of the film a living hell for everyone else. I can definitely see the. Mm. So I think a lot of there a lot that. of times when he's acting like that, it's because he's actually not in a good mood, mm. and he's refusing that to completely sense. break out of it. Yeah, he's a he's a temperamental person. It seems like I thought he, it could have been her father too when he like walked in with the the dress and like oh, yeah, her yeah. dad. Hi, babe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because um, like, he looks like forty years old and everybody else. So, so who's your favorite character? Um, I mean, besides him, oh, so I tell you, my so least favorite, favorite character, character is the mother. That I'm looking. You don't at like Claudette? Right See, I love Claudette. No, she's a like, she's a bitch. Just like her daughter too. Like <laughs> she is a little the, bit. like the two worst people. Well, the thing I love about Claudette is she just keeps building him up though. Like, well, like the scene where the scene it. where fucking Lisa's like, he got drunk last night. He hit me. And then Claudette's response Johnny doesn't is, drink. Johnny doesn't drink. Yeah. <laughs> like, totally just. He's your financial stability. Yeah, like Just, uh, just skipping with him for his. Yeah, she literally says caretaker, which is one of my favorite yeah, things about what that. What does she do all day? Josu, did you notice this? Um, no one ever says fi- fiance. They say future, future wife, wife and future yeah. husband. Yeah. Uh, th- that's, again, future going. Future wife. That's going back to the uh, the whole thing of Johnny being like refusing to change how it was written. That's how he wrote it. He wrote yeah. future, and and so that's how it comes back out. I think I also sometimes wonder because 
there's like lines where he does it in his sort of like broken English, like adding S's when they're not supposed to be there or taking them away sort of delivery that he has. And I hear someone else do it. And I go, is that one of those cases of him being like, no, it's mm. does is <laughs> making does-es. them say a word wrong and refusing to let them do it any other way. Because mm. um, my my favorite character is kind of a toss up. I mean, everybody's going to say Johnny, but I don't think he's like necessarily my favorite character. He is like the reason why you watch yeah. the movie. But yeah. that's more because of just Tommy. Um, I love Mike, who we're seeing right here. Mike, oh, yeah. who's like the funny guy. Uh, he's pretty pretty ridiculous. The you mean me- she looks like she's like 35. Like- yeah, and he's like 20, <laughs> 25. They're doing homework? She's like... Yeah. Yeah, well, they're like all in college homework. or something. Um, I also love Chris R., who is really the only person in the film other than Tommy and Greg to go on and do anything in Hollywood. Mm. After that, he's the drug dealer. Oh, guy, okay, yeah. Who yeah, is again is, another yeah. moment where that's where one Tommy of my favorite scenes actually uh, it was yeah. okay. First of all, that's the, mother... the good. You know how I always tell you every bad movie has a one good scene. Yeah, the Denny and Chris are part of that scene is the only part of the room that's actually really well acted. I think maybe yeah, that Chris R did better acting than uh, is, it, is it Denny or Denny? Yeah. Denny, because uh, I'm surprised. Denny. I was like, building up to it. Denny? Denny is my favorite character. Do you do you have some secrets? Forget it. What? Well, whatever. Hey, Johnny. Oh, hi, Danny. What's wrong with Mark? He's cranky today. <laughs> Girl trouble, I guess. What's new with you? Not much. Still going to the movie tonight? Oh, sure we are. What kind of movie are we going to see? Well, we'll see. Danny, don't play too much. It may not come out right. All right. Got to tell you about something. Do you, do you have some secret? It's about Lisa. I think I'm in love with her. I just like to watch you guys. Oh, hi, Danny. Wow. Look at you. Denny, Denny, don't ask a question like that. Are you okay? Calm down. Denny, look at me in the eyes and tell me the truth. We're your friends. Got some drugs off of him. Things got mixed up. I didn't mean for this to happen. What kind of drugs do you take? It's Mom, please. Denny's with me and Johnny. A man like that with a gun. My God. You're not my fucking mother. Anything for my princess. (laughs) Okay. I also, I will say before I get into that, I also, I love, I do love, um, uh, I'm never going to remember his name because it's never said in the movie, but Peter's replacement, the guy who, who busts in and mm-hmm. finds out that they're catches them making out and he's like i feel yeah. like i'm sitting on an atomic bomb yeah. waiting to go off that guy he's great too but denny's my favorite character because denny is a creepy weird ass little, he's a little turd. pervert yeah he's yeah little, he's like, definitely perverted he's also like uh it really confused me when he went into the like the bedroom with them in the beginning I just like, like they just let guys. it happen i like to watch you guys yeah they're like oh um oh, he's denny he's obsessed with johnny he is completely obsessed with johnny and that i think has caused his obsession for lisa he's not actually in love with lisa he's in love with johnny interesting um he's also the actor who plays him is such a strange little guy and he's like 
I don't know. There's something like there's that one of my favorite little parts in the movie is when they're playing football. He's like, yeah, Peter, good throw. Come on, Mark. Like, and he's like cheering them on. It's he's such a just a, he's uh I don't know there's something about him I that can't just, imagine him like not being that like person. look at him in this like, scene we're watching him right now and he's got his green tucked in polo shirt and khaki right. pants and a, a khaki belt and his his little like like I don't even is that like a mushroom cut like that haircut is from like it's nine, like Leonardo DiCaprio from like Titanic for people like, who literally no his hair sure is the is the same hair that Sean had in Boy Meets World. Oh yeah. He's okay. Yeah. Sean Ryder, Ryder Strong, I mean, hair, whatever his name was on Late the show, 90s Sean type something. Of like... Sean from Boy Meets World. Yeah, so here we are. We're on the uh, second Claudette scene, which literally this one this one is the most interesting of all of them because it is literally useless and is is just there to completely repeat what happened in the first scene like you could cut it out of the movie and then it would not matter nothing is said in the in it that is not said in the first scene doesn't like forget his underwear or something or like she finds underwear yeah Yeah, that's the only reason for the scene which is which leads us to another scene which is my personal top favorite scene in the whole movie when which, they're talking when he's yeah. telling the story about it like he just the, saw that it's the whole whole thing of him telling the story about the underwear which we just saw which mm-hmm. which makes is the only reason i would keep it in the movie so that you could have this whole block but really it's him telling the story johnny going mm-hmm, yeah yeah oh wow great great story then denny showing up them throwing a football around in like a five by five space i know then mark showing up slamming a football into Mike's stomach and into some trash cans and then taking him to the to, oh, home, I guess. <laughs> Takes him home. Um, that sequence to me is like, that's what I would show. You can show almost any scene to someone to be like, this is why you have to watch the movie. But for me, that sequence is, is the best way to describe just how ridiculous the movie yeah. is. You know, like it, it's, I think it's also that Tommy is insistent on what he wants. So like to him, like another good example. Now we're watching the Chris R scene. Mm-hmm. In this scene, everybody was like, "Why?" Was trying to say to Tommy, like, "Why isn't it just Chris?" Chris R. Like to give you another like background. Uh, Greg Sestero, who plays Mark, yeah. was also the script supervisor. Computer, computer, come in. Yes. Sandy Schlaer was the script supervisor. Greg was the line producer. So like basically, his other job was to be like, this doesn't fucking make any sense, Tommy. We should change this yeah. and fight him on stuff. And so they were all trying to tell him, like, hey, uh, this makes no sense whatsoever. And uh, he should just be called Chris. Chris R. And Tommy was like, but his name is Chris R. <laughs> that was his defense of why like he, he must be- have known another Chris. And like, I don't know. Maybe. Or it's just how he had written it. So in his mind... It should stay that way. Okay. Like it, and and like a friend of mine described it. I can't remember who it was. So I'm sorry if you're listening. But I can't remember who who describes me. I'll try to find it and I'll, I'll have computer put it in right here. Computer, 
Computer, come in. Yes. You are about to mention it, but it was guest Tyler in the Neil Brain episode. But um, they were describing it basically that uh, it was like he was be he was beholden to his own script, but he had written it. And uh, actually, I know my guest Tyler Tuttle said it on the Neil Breen episode because Neil Breen does the same thing. It's yeah. like he's sitting there as a director being like, well, I can't change the script like the direct like the script writer would yes. get mad. Yeah. It's like you're the script writer. Though. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, at least it, it comes Neil's, above you at that point. In like, Neil no, Breen's defense there, though, I don't think he had a script for some of his movies. Where Tommy definitely had, there is uh, yeah. at least a, a play script and there is a transcript of the room but he didn't like sit down and write a screenplay based off of his script he just brought the script to the movie of the play i mean and we're like let's make this into a movie mm. so uh, you know speaking of this part right now i'm just gonna get out of the way i love how they take him and they said let's take him to the police and like they're like walking him and then to the door like, and, like two it's minutes like later, oh watch your head like yeah, yeah and then like two minutes later they, they come, come back, back and yeah. he's gone <laughs> And and Denny's like, hey, don't worry, he's going to jail. Yeah, he's, yeah. <laughs> yeah there's, uh, I mean, they it, walk him all the way down to the police station. <laughs> yeah, him, yeah, book him. In Tommy's mind, okay, because remember, think about it like Tommy is a person who is bec- who is obsessed with movies, and it's particularly a few types of movies like uh, Clint Eastwood movies, um, big time on uh, James Dean. And uh, the plays of Tennessee Williams. So, but I think a lot of it is like American film, Hollywood film culture. So in a Hollywood film, there would be a cop who is like standing outside, just walking down the street. Because that would, you know, that. Everything's that easy because it happens. Right. And I think that Tommy shows it that he believes there is a world outside the film all the time. Like there's stuff where like Lisa is talking about a her job randomly in a scene and and for the one time in the movie she's like oh i have to go meet a client and then oh, you yeah. never see her yeah. meet the client nor anything about it ever again also there's a part where claudette is talking about she first mentioned some random guy she's like howard and and, and you're oh like, yeah the fuck? And like, then later, talking a few lines again. later she's like your brother lisa's like you, he's your brother so you're like oh okay yeah she's like howard is trying to take the house yeah. and then she's like Edward, I can't believe I married him. But they have no bearing on the story, really, other than to to create the universe for the characters to live in. But they're not; it's not important. It doesn't lead to anything. So I think that like Tommy believes that dying. Yeah, yeah. I there you go. She has breast cancer. I'm dying. I have breast cancer. I and then Lisa being like, "Whatever, mom. Like you'll be fine. They're curing everything nowadays." (laughs) And then it's just never brought up again. It's just dropped. So, like, it's Tommy establishing that there is a world outside the movie, and and he thinks that that's important to establish, but not to make that an actual part of the plot. I know. You know? Like, if it was an actual plot point that her mother was dying, and it would make sense. It would act, you could use that. Like, her mom's dying, and she's, so she's starting to, like, kind of start to lose grip on reality. She's depressed, wherever you want to play it. But, like, that's a reason for her to start, like, acting differently towards tommy mm. it's a motivating factor and instead it's just used i don't know i guess just to to it, it almost seems like sometimes like it's used to pad stuff out this scene we're watching right here is another great example this is right after the famous you know tommy completely switching gears in one line from i did not do it i didn't it's yeah. bullshit to oh hey mark 
followed up by by i think the most stunningly ridiculous interaction mark telling a story about a woman who got up be- beaten so badly yeah. by a guy she's in the hospital and then tommy being ha 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 great story mark yeah. <laughs> another time where greg says that he and the and the uh, other people on the crew were like that is not the reaction you should have and tommy insisted he should that it should be it played is. that way yeah so uh it's it's hard to explain why he did it the way he did it, but thank God he did because we have this strange piece of outsider art now because mm. of it. Um, another, there's another great – this scene packs in some of the greatest moments. It has, like I said, that – probably the most famous moment in the movie there. has that line, which is another one of my favorites. It also has a great line of Toby saying, Wow, Mark, I'm so glad that you are my best friend, and I love Lisa so yeah, much. Yeah. Like, <laughs> reiterating of what his life yep, is like but yep. and, and literally telling you exactly what you already know and you don't need to hear but it's so perfect that he does that over and over again hmm. um yeah man uh so some more questions i have for you yeah what's your favorite object from this movie object yeah there's a lot of objects in this movie uh right off the bat i think they i put up the, a poll for this on the group and i'm pretty sure uh Football. I was just gonna say probably the football. Yeah, a, a lot of people in the comments were pulling for doggy, um, but I was object. like, I wouldn't consider doggy to be an object. But what kind of person are you calling? I thought about it more though, and in the context of the movie, it kind of is because it just <laughs> saw some old pug sitting there like barely moving, and so it is kind of like an object. Uh, fake flowers. You brought those. Uh, yeah, up I was earlier. gonna say about the plastic. The plastic roses. flowers. Um. Uh, a, a tape recorder that somehow oh, yeah. records every phone call. I, that was that was confusing. Con- the hell, like it's no way, in no way connected to the phone at all. <laughs> um, I think my favorite is the photograph, uh, framed photographs of spoons. I didn't. You didn't I notice noticed those. No. Yeah. A lot of people don't the first time. When you if you watch in Tommy's in the room, we'll just call it the room now. Whenever okay. you refer to the red walled yeah, the, living room. Yeah. In the room on a table, there is a at least one, if not I think a couple more, photos of a spoon in like a little frame. Just like sitting yeah. Just uh, yeah, like random yeah, decor. Watch. Um I think football is probably the best one though. That's probably like how he just says you want to play football. And then they <laughs> yeah. just throw it to you each other. Play some football? And just toss it. Mm. Well, like, yeah, another great scene is the scene where they're playing football in a parking lot in tuxes. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of people, I've heard in a lot of different things, people asking about it, like why they were doing that. And I think it's pretty obvious explanation that since the one time Tommy decided not to explain something with a, with a line that completely spells out for you what's happening, yeah. they were going to get wedding photos. They mentioned it earlier in in the scene or in the movie at some point they mentioned getting wedding photos then they're all in tuxes they're going to a location it's just them goofing around it just never felt the need in that scene for some reason never felt the need there to be like oh they're going to get the photos taken (laughs) so i'm want to answer that for anybody who's ever struggled with that scene i'm pretty sure that's what's happening there but the funny thing about that scene is that even on set, they were asking, why the hell are they playing football in tuxedos? Tommy was asked that in an interview, and his response was something on the lines of fo- playing football in a tuxedo in different uh, non-standard equipment is very fun and challenging. Oh, that's, that's a good point. Oh, uh, yeah. So, um, yeah. So, I'm going to think, I think football 
is going to win that um, distinction of the best object from the room. Uh, hmm. You said you said you you said your favorite character was uh, was Johnny. I said besides Johnny. Besides I, Johnny, I, I gave like my worst favorite. I, I don't really know. I, they're all so hard to like. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think... can't relate to any of them. Like it's a different like. Right. I guess who entertained me the most is probably uh, Denny. Yeah, yeah. See, Denny's probably like sneakily my favorite. But again, sort of like aside from Johnny. Yeah. On the poll, we had a, a two-way tie between Johnny and Chris R. for the uh, the favorite character. Mm. Um, Denny coming in uh, in third, though. Uh, who do you think would win in a in if they let him fight Johnny or Mark in that final scene? Honestly, Mark. You think Mark would have won? Yeah. I I think Johnny would have won. Really? Johnny was full of rage. Did someone actually? Uh, uh, someone on the. He just seems I, clunky and like. Uh, well, uh, listen. Uh, group member Stephen Moran just put up the picture of Tommy throwing the uh, television out oh, the window yeah. as his answer, and I was like, "Yeah, pretty much. Tommy's got raw power. He's got raw strength. Okay. Yeah. He's also mad." He's he's so mad right now that uh, I I, I kind of have to give a nod. To I, don't know, I think too. Speed would win in that. I think Mark's more like athletic. And Mark like, is very athletic. He's younger too, definitely by probably yeah, thirty by or like, forty. I was years. gonna say, who knows? But probably around forty years. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, in, but in the poll, uh, Johnny did win with eleven votes over nine. Okay. So it was a close one though. Um, Not changing my vote. The other object too that so the, in the object poll, football won, but the, coming in second. Was the pocket to keep your stupid comments? Oh, okay. <laughs> one of my favorite lines for the movie: "Keep your stupid comments in your pocket." Um, <laughs> yeah. So, if you had to rate this film, uh, what I don't even know what scale to use, like for like. If you're like, at, how... okay, if you had to rate this as a first-time viewer, how minus everything I've told you today. Just, just how you felt. Like, if you're just gonna give it a score, based on 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 every film you've ever seen. On every film, okay. Yeah, put it. If you were to put this up against movies like Go, that you've already stated are yeah, movies maybe. you love, like where would you rank it in accordance to that list? Um, ah, very low. Yeah, like very low. But it, that's not to say I didn't like it. It's just like if I'm putting up against movies that I actually think like were a lot of you know carefully done and crafted right, and like right. shit that I actually really love, like uh, then no, it'd go very low. But as how much as I enjoyed it, as a bad movie, as a bad movie, yeah. it's it's high. Yeah, like exactly watchability. I mean, like I would like definitely want. I, I kind of forget a little bit of it towards the end because I was like getting ready to go and shit. Oh, there's that. dude, there's so much. Like it's, it's hard. Like to, ten minutes. Of it's it. hard to I even mention end, like, everything that goes on in the film. And like when I was rewatching it uh, yesterday, I was like finding like I was like, oh yeah, and then that happened. Oh yeah, and then that happened. Like not just even lines, but like parts of the film that you can talk about. Like one of the other, maybe one of the other greatest moments from the film. The moment of the film that I still laugh the most at probably is when Tommy's going on his post breakup rampage. Mm. And is like nonchalantly destroying everything in the house. Like he's so calm and collected about r- destroying everything in his house. <laughs> like he's like shuffling around and being like and like yelling and screaming, but then like kind of being like Ugh, and like slowly knocking right. a bunch of yeah. shit, like pulling the drawers out. Like that that scene is hilarious. His 
it, it, it still gets me to this day. Um, I think one of the things I had trouble with is um, the, how they tried to measure time. There's like no clear distinction of when shit happens. If it's, is it the next day or is it like a, a week later? Or is it? Yeah, I feel like. So I kind of like jumbled up all the events. Yeah. And like how they, so there's no. Well, because most of the time movies do that by having like distinct daytime and nighttime yeah. scenes to show you passages of time. You know, like, so you know if it was dark out in the last scene and now it's light out, it's obviously later. You know, even if the distinction isn't exactly how much time has passed, you know, yeah, okay, it's, it's the next least, morning. But it's always least. light. It's always, like, they're in either the room or they're on the roof, and it's always, like, the right. middle of the day. Yeah, there's only one nighttime scene. That's the, par- the, yeah. the party. Yeah. Um, but then, strangely enough, by the time the next scene rolls around, it's already the next morning. Because the the final scene takes place in the daylight, mm. so that's always something that's been interesting to me. So I guess Tommy slept in the bathroom on the floor. Oh yeah. Or the party went on until daylight. <laughs> I'm not sure which, but um, yeah, because there, I I would say, like for the, here's here's a moment we're not talking about my favorite scene here. This we're watching my favorite scene here with uh, Mike. I gotta go telling Denny he's gotta go meet up with Michelle yeah. later to uh, make out with her. Um, so, uh, Plays but in this scene, so you kind of have a distinction here because you had, so you had the scene where Mike, uh, comes back to get his underwear yeah, and then you have a couple scenes in between that to pad out our, our, our march into this scene. So now I'm guessing this is the day or a couple days later. Um, and like, but yeah, there, there's no, uh, I would say the whole movie probably takes place within like. A week or two if i were to guess yeah yeah but 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 it's also in sort of that like movie logic thing where it's timeless you know like there is no like time time is not important yeah yeah it's just like the because like the said earlier there's a lot of like repetition and like scenes that just like nothing further like the mother coming over again and again so unimportant like just not furthering the plot it's right. like, okay, what day is it now? Like, how many times are you going to come over today? Or does it have been, like, a weekend? Right. It's still well, pointless. Well, also, you have, like, life? you have, like, things that, that happen because... Okay, here, right right there. See the spoon? Oh, uh, I see the spoons. Yeah. 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 So, <laughs> that's what I was talking Anyway. So they went to, like, AC Moore and got, like, a stock photo. Like, they bought the frame and just never yeah, took the Yeah, they just the didn't take the stock photo. Yeah. I swear, that's exactly what I thought, too. Uh, what was this? It's so funny. Like, earlier, you were texting me and you said, like... Wow, I feel like Tim and Eric are, were inspired by this. Yeah. Thing, and I was like, dude, Tim and Eric did a fucking. He was yeah, on, and, and I had I forgot to mention. They put in that same episode. They played two scenes from the room. Really? Yep. And that was actually the first time I ever seen anything from the room. I remember watching that episode oh, and watching those two scenes, and then like a few months later, a friend of me was like, "Oh, you gotta watch this movie." And I was like, this seems really familiar. I feel like I've seen this guy before. And then I was like, I definitely have seen this scene okay. before. And it wasn't until years later that I put it together where yeah. I had seen them both. So, yeah, they were big on on promoting him um, and wanted to work with him. He totally fits into their aesthetic mm. of just bad acting and, and direction yeah, just, and, and choices. Like when I said like, it was like questioning reality, that's kind of like Tim and Eric always makes me. like. Yep, like, yep. Yeah, actually, recently I was watching some of their uh, their show, uh, Bedtime Stories. Yeah, I've seen love, those. Yeah. Love that show. Big fan of that show. Um, 
and there's that a lot that, of them is there there's only a few episodes i think uh i think there's like two, oh, two, like two seasons okay, now yeah. there's actually quite a few i um i purchased the first season when it came out hmm. um and i think that only had like eight episodes six or eight episodes yeah. um but i believe there's more than that because i remember i was looking through episodes recently i think on hulu or something and there was some that i was like okay i definitely haven't seen that one oh, okay um but yeah i i love i love that show i love tim and eric in general. yeah me too and so yeah i think it was a natural um segue into this um for me i rate this movie actually higher than most people do on just a regular movie scale this is like one of my favorite movies bar none and i think that the problem is that a lot of times when people look at film um it there's this comparison that gets made that you don't see as much in stuff like music anymore like in music you don't see someone being like yeah but this isn't like this isn't like classical music when they're talking about an artist, you know, they're yeah. like, like there's artists who are making rock and, and hip hop and all different genres of music that are considered to be like high forms of art. Um, and I feel like in, in film, there's not the same distinction always. Like people immediately think that like when someone asks them, Oh, what's, what do you think the best movie is or what's your favorite movie that they immediately have to be like oh well the citizen kane is the best movie of all time or something yeah. you know um I totally disagree with that but I, and i know i'm, I'm just throwing that out as yeah, like yeah. one of the, it, that wizard of oz it's a couple different films always get thrown around as like the greatest single greatest film whatever you know yeah, yeah. but uh and even when just when you're talking about it i feel like when people are asked about what their favorite movies are a lot of times people default to picking the highest like rated of their favorite yeah. movies okay. like instead of saying like like they might like to watch uh <laughs> mortal Kombat a lot but they're when someone asks them oh what's your five favorite movies they'll be like uh uh the revenant <laughs> like you know mm. stuff that's like high, critically acclaimed won oscars Thanks because so. that it, it may you know it's still an art form that i think people think that there's like a distinction between what's really good and what's a movie film and movie okay and to me yeah. i don't think that way I, I think someone can make something like this and it actually become it comes out like a picasso like when picasso started to do cubism and there was a bunch of people in the art world who were like so how much fucking crack is this guy smoking because right? yeah. this isn't art you know you see the same thing in lots of different uh forms of art and entertainment where people are like this is terrible this is awful and then 20 years later, it's a cult classic. The Thing is a great example of that. Yeah. You know, okay. critically hated, but now it's considered a masterpiece. I think The Room falls into that category for totally different reasons. Um, And I actually rate it somewhere it's, in like... Yeah, there's definitely I, a cult like... Um, oh, yeah? Like a Rocky Horror Picture Show and like all that. Totally, yeah. Where people bring shit. plastic spoons and throw yeah. them whenever a spoon is on, on screen, yeah. For The Room? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, they literally have like the screenings in the room are like wild affairs. Yeah, I figured they were like, like uh, I said, like Rocky Horror. Yeah, a friend of mine was telling me he was at a. I think it actually might have been uh, my buddy Derek. He was telling me that it, um, he was at another f screening for another film, and there was a room screening in the theater directly next door, mm. <laughs> and all night all you could hear was the room screening. It was so loud because <laughs> just it's it, but it's part of I think, Troll Two has a following like that too. 
it's uh for so long it was something that like a small group of people shared and i think it's still it's it's gotten a little bit more like mainstream whatever appeal but it's still something that like if you hear somebody make a reference to the room and you know it you're like whoa you know that movie all right let's let's like talk about it more because yeah it's it's just not something you can bond over and it feels like it's like a, it, uh, like I said at the top of all this, it's a special like club. You're like, welcome to the club. Now you know. If I'm like, oh, you're tearing me apart, dude. Like you know, yeah. you know that's a bad example of it. You know where it's coming from. You know. Uh, that was a horrible example. It was a horrible example, but like still, you know, a reference to the movie. Yeah. Because uh, I, I reference. I kind of knew all the lines without watching it, just because mm. like been around people. That, at least now I. Uh, can yeah, put now, like now a you mental know. image to what I'm. Um, you know, what's yeah. your fi- what was your favorite part of the movie? Like your favorite scene? Um, probably the the drug scene when you get the gun yeah. and uh, just because of how ridiculously handled it was. <laughs> like, oh, we're gonna take him to the police. And like, first of all, the mother just left before, and then she's up on the roof with them. Like, they don't explain because yeah. like, oh, I gotta go, honey, or whatever. And she does the stupid kiss on the nose. Yep. Leaves. And they didn't Lisa then, go out the door with her too? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think they both left, and then yeah. it just cuts to him, uh, Denny, and Chris are on the roof. They must have. No, that doesn't make sense either. I was well. It might actually a little bit. I guess they heard shouting. Okay, and then, is, what and is that roof? Is it, the, is it the top of their like apartment building or whatever? Condos. Because yeah. it, it seems like it's like a a pretty big building, but also when you think about it. The, the square footage, of that roof. Yeah, means that that building, is like pretty small. Yeah, it's like, it's like a, a small, like thin, uh, yeah. city building. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, because like the it, size of this room right now. Yeah, pretty much. I think this room is bigger. Actually, it's like why that little shack that clearly goes nowhere. Yep. It's just a little tin shack yep. that they go in and out, and they what do they hide for like? Oh, yeah, like, they probably what, just go inside yeah, and like then cut, cut away. Yeah, come back out. Yeah, uh, my favorite is like you were mentioning earlier, what, like at the end of that scene when it's three people all jumping into that little shack. Yeah. Uh, gonna take them to the police. That's also, I mean, that's probably, you know, some like cheap, because a lot of this was done at a, um, on a soundstage. Mm. So, uh, like, I'm pretty sure that's none of this is natural light. It's uh, it's light, you know, faux natural light lighting, mm. like this. All this room is a soundstage room, you yeah. know. And right next to it is the soundstage for the bedroom room and the whatever else they're using, you know. Even the nighttime stuff, not shot outdoors. The stuff outdoors, not shot out. I, pretty much yeah. everything that isn't in San Francisco, or the scene where they're in a park. And it's supposed to be Golden Gate Park, but I know it wasn't because they didn't do any actors. None of the actors shot on location in San Francisco. So they're just in some park, I guess, in L.A. shooting, pretending they're in Central okay. in, uh, Golden yeah. Gate Park. Um, this is another one of my favorite scenes here uh, because it's another great one that explains, like, Tommy's weird surrealism versus reality. So Mark's up on the roof smoking pot. Peter comes up and starts talking to him. Uh, Peter uses, I guess, his uh, psychiatrist skills to deduce through nothing that Mark and Lisa are having an affair. And then um, uh, confronts 
Mark with said affair. Mark in, essentially intends to kill him by holding him over the side of the building, pulls him back, apologizes, and then they go on with a conversation as if that didn't just yeah. happen. And also, I think it's interesting that Mark's smoking pot because do you notice that anytime drugs or alcohol are used in this movie that or or even like part of the story, bad things yeah, happen to the characters involved in them? Like, frowned upon like, right there's a, the, the mother, oh, what drugs are like there's a clear set of morals that that tommy prescribes to yeah. and that the the movie prescribes to and basically like you know drugs are wrong uh you should you should be honest and upfront with people and and instead it, it's not it, what i love is that his his uh thesis i guess you could say statement about what lisa's doing isn't even like if you don't love someone you should you should you know let them know and move on instead of like leading them on yeah no his thesis statement is that you should just suck it up and stay with them and and like and be happy because you you have money like and that's so the opposite of what um what a movie like this should be you know which is why i said i would love to recut this and rename it lisa Mm. and actually start the movie at the end of the movie the very first scene is right after johnny shoots himself so you fade in on them freaking out over his body and cut away before you don't have put the whole scene uh, in but you, yeah, you cut that. away like after before like the the awkward kiss on the eyeball <laughs> and then all that stuff yeah um so you just get like a really quick scene of like oh holy shit he's dead and then it goes back to the beginning and you see the whole story, but it, it's played out w- minusing a lot of the crap that's unnecessary. Like, you could cut out Mike completely, and the film would still work. Because okay, all yeah. Mike does in the movie is the the oral sex scene, the mm-hmm. underwear scene, and then goof around with cake. Oh, when, and, I shot, and, when I saw them sharing chocolate, I was like, oh, gross. Yeah, but literally, that, you could cut out like, that part of the scene and just put in Lisa being like, hey, let's go outside. Like, there's nothing Mike does in the movie that you need in to keep any way in. directly affects anything right like and you could keep in uh his girlfriend whatever her name is because <laughs> i forget it you could keep her know. in the movie and still have him in a scene just as oh that's her boyfriend whatever that's a guy who's hitting on her whatever like it, yeah. he's unnecessary and she could stay in the movie uh another interesting thing here so you notice how like peter is only in like half of the movie and then disappears yeah that's because he was supposed to be the guy at the end who catches them but he told them he only had a certain amount of time before he had to leave and and so he was only available for a certain amount of days for Uh, shooting and they they wasted so much time that they didn't get all of his stuff shot Mm. he had to leave so uh that is why he had to hire another actor to come in and play a ridiculous role uh i know with for a couple of my friends my friends chris and uh bevy they uh, I think he's the best character in the movie and he's not my favorite character, but he's right up there. Um, his scene is so fucking hilarious to me. It has that great line, the the, the comments in your pocket line. Yeah. And it just, it's so ridiculous to have a character be introduced, never named, uh, but to, to act, who's also acting so concerned about the plot. It's like, dude, you just showed up. Right. Who are you? Do you know what's going on? Then? So it's just there's so much to love about this movie. There really is, you know. I would definitely watch it again. Me too. I will definitely watch it 
thousands of more times, I'm sure, in my life because I love it. What year was this, actually? Uh, 2003, I think. Okay. No, 2005, 2006, maybe. Somewhere around there. I can't remember exactly what year because I'm pretty sure he did a film in, I think, 2004, a documentary called Homeless in America. Now, always forget if that was before or after this, but I think it was before. But regardless of that, it was in, like, the mid-2000s. Okay, that makes sense. Um, a bit. And, yeah, I mean, it's weird because Tommy kind of uh, – he, I love him for this one reason alone. He's not the greatest guy. If you read the book, there's a lot of stories that uh, basically don't paint him in the greatest light. Yeah. Um, not that he's done anything, like, horrible to anybody, but he's just – he's – um. Not great with social interaction. Yeah, he's difficult. He's not great with social interaction. And he's also uh, a perfectionist for his unique brand of perfection. Yeah. So I think he rubs a lot of people the wrong way, and he can be very demonstrative to people. Um, Mm. On set, he he yelled at or abused or harassed people in in a few different ways, you know, when he was not in a good mood. Um, But he did something interesting that – like most of these people we've covered in bad movies, especially directors and, and creators don't normally do. Like for instance, uh, in the movie troll Two, the director is, gets very angry when people talk about how bad good the movie is and how they enjoy it for being stupid or whatever, because he doesn't agree with that. Tommy, I have to watch that one. I haven't seen it. Tommy went the total opposite route of going, yeah, you're right. I did that on purpose. Hmm. totally not true yeah i wouldn't totally don't buy it however pretty graceful of him to just be like all right i'm gonna roll with the the punches here i'm gonna be like okay everybody thinks this movie is funny like it's a black comedy that's what it was Mm -hmm. you know and it, it, it it works if you think of it if you think of this movie as a black comedy it's a very very good black comedy yeah it's actually probably one of the best subtle dark comedies ever made because even a movie that makes there's only one other movie I can think of, Fateful Findings by Neil Breen, that makes a suicide scene hilarious, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. and that to me that's that's what black comedy is taking something that's not funny at all and turning it into a comedic scene. Yeah. Like, so this could be one of the greatest dark comedies ever if it actually was. Yeah, but I don't I, believe. Like so. I said, I wouldn't believe him when he said that. No, it was made as a drama and it turned into a black comedy because it was such an awful drama. But in a weird way, that's like what outsider art is, you know? Yeah. And so that it works. <laughs> and, and so to me, this is the greatest bad movie, the greatest good, bad movie. Like, so like, the greatest bad movie in the sense that like movies that are just bad yeah just it is the best one it is also the most enjoyable of the the good movies that are bad in the sense like movies Mm -hmm. that are very poorly put together cheaply done and cheaply acted and everything uh it's the top of that samurai cup was pretty pretty good and it's honestly one of my favorite maybe my top two or three favorite movies ever of all time so damn dude and that's not just like because it's enjoyable to watch and shit i think there's a lot more to it that that is all unintentional you know and uh there was this one simpsons episode um it was a later episode so it's i don't really remember the episode that well and i'm not really mentioning it because of the episode was funny or anything 
but I liked the idea of it. And basically it was that Mo was, became an amazing poet because Lisa just started to take all of these, uh, random like thoughts that he wrote on post-it notes and put them together Mm. into poems so it was like he was like an idiot savant but then he got like built up by his own you know thinking he was better than he actually was yeah uh sort of thing but like just that idea of like someone who has no right to be making something this good and totally didn't intend to make it as good yeah at all for the re for you know or make it what it became and it's become such a phenomenon and really only troll 2 i think even comes close or equals it in the amount of like fan uh reaction and and uh cult following when it comes to movies like this so it it deserves all the praise that it ever gets and i don't like when you see people give it bad reviews because i'm like why are you gonna give a bad review to the room like wow it's like saying nickelback is a shitty band like yeah we get it it's a pretty well-known thing that the room is not a good movie but that doesn't mean it's not a great movie (laughs) true so yeah i had a good time watching it yeah like it still reminds you of full house a little bit the little cutscenes. yeah exactly i totally i was talking about it earlier i gotta make a video that's like the full house theme and parts of the opening but interspliced with stuff from the room so like you know with like starring tommy was so of him like walking in the door at the beginning you know put in this shot so this is another scene i love it this is the scene where they're all just they're just playing football in the park for a while (laughs) and it's just like you why would you put this in the movie it's completely unnecessary unless you're looking at it from a statement of or from a, a a place of oh shit this movie's only you know an hour long and it needs yeah. to be longer so let's pad it out I was gonna say that's probably why bullshit. it's so long it's just like they do a lot of things for a while especially right, sex like right. those scenes are oh my those God. are long too dude well no other no other movie i can think of that's not pornography has that many love scenes i mean there's i would say there's four straight up sex scenes there's one oral sex scene that's very short mm-hmm. and then there's one scene that almost becomes a sex scene and doesn't there's a lot of dry humping yeah there's that too there's a dry that which is kind of like the the fifth sex scene but yeah. i would consider it more and i think this is it right here it's kind of more like a almost sex scene that gets interrupted it's like they take their shirts off and start getting close to each other and then there's a knock at the door. So this is like a half sex scene. But this is happening like right after another sex scene. Mm. Like we have sex scene, scene in Golden Gate Park, and now we're going to have another sex scene. Like it's so inept. It's so it's it's you ever watch a movie, right? And you see something in the movie, like, say, whenever Quentin Tarantino makes a, put shoots a woman's feet. And you're like, Jesus Christ, Quentin, we get it. You have a foot fetish. Like, right, yeah. you think the director is getting certain certain shots so he can jack off later? <laughs> There's a lot of that in this movie, I think. Tommy I noticed that to... she's only, like, fully naked when she's with him. When she's with Mark. Well, no, when, uh, when she's with uh, Johnny. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. Like, well, that's because um, Mark actually is wearing jeans in all his sex scenes. Yeah, and she still has her bra on and everything. She only gets like I don't know if that well, was like a he prob- if, yeah. Well, if he like, got an attachment to her or something, be like, no, you're, yeah. you're only be naked with me. Like I, I mentioned before, uh, I believe Juliet 
did not have a great time with shooting this movie. Yeah. She she was driven to tears by Tommy on a couple different occasions. Shit. And uh like I said also, according to uh one of the other actors, Greg Ellery, he said that the she was like got off the bus from uh Texas and was immediately thrown into a sex scene with Tommy, which mm. I cannot imagine is <laughs> fun. Not very welcoming. Yeah. To... And uh, how I would be remiss in doing this whole podcast without mentioning Tommy's technique in the bedroom of humping someone's belly button. I saw, I was gonna mention that like he's not even like when I also, anywhere near the vagina at all. He's like I also wonder about it because I don't remember. I haven't uh, read the Disaster Artist book in a while. I believe he might cover it in that. I don't. There's rules in Hollywood for shooting sex scenes, um, uh, and you know that that are right from Screen Actors Guild or something like that. I'm pretty yeah. sure. Like, you know, so as long as you're part, you know, if you're a SAG actor, like you can say like, "Hey, I'm not doing this, this, and this in a scene." Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, wear, wearing coverings on genitals for both actors, stuff like that. That's like pretty much standard. Yeah not sure how much of that was followed in this film if any so that's another thing that's kind of like as just this this sort of other thing about tommy because i think he's become a beloved character a lot of people's minds because of the movie but there is like a a dark side there i try i i obviously love his film um and i am drawn in by him but i would definitely i'm definitely a little uh apprehensive about Mm -hmm. saying he's a good guy i don't know how yeah yeah and and I also part of me wonders if there is you know a language barrier communication issue there. Uh, no one knows where he's really from, so that's another thing. Uh, I think it looks like Ben confirmed that he's from or at least grew up Sweden? in Poland. Poland, okay. Um, he also has said he lived in France and in New Orleans, uh, and I guess he has family in New Orleans. Um, so he's sort of like I mentioned before his private life is sort of an enigma uh and i think he's a very lonely character who had a very uh particular way of looking at the world that in a particular way of making art that he would not ever acquiesce to change to anyone so uh sure, it's definitely it's it's sort of like how people are interested in fucking stalin or even hitler mm to you know and not for uh, not nazis or tankies yeah. in this case i mean just people who are interested in mao mao or uh the north korean dictator or and it's interesting that i'm now mentioning all dictators but that's kind of how he comes across when you read the behind the scenes book like he he kind of acted a little bit like a dictator and then the his nation was the room uh and what he said went but there's also like the one of the the people who worked on on the film with him was a uh, uh, actually I think earlier I said Mark was a script supervisor I think this guy was a script supervisor I forget his name he uh, a few years ago came forward and said he actually wanted to be given director credit or he thinks he sh- like sort of more was like I actually should be given director credit because Tommy basically threw up his hands early on in making the film and said you say action and all that stuff and. At one yeah. point, even said in front of other members of the cast and crew, uh, why don't you just be the director of the film? So this guy's like, I basically directed the movie. I think I should be the director. Uh, and Tommy's response was, wow, this is crazy. Only in America can someone think that way or something. So 
Yeah. It's a, it's an it's an anomaly. I can definitely agree with that. Yeah. It's a once in a lifetime sort of thing. No one could ever remake this. Uh in since this Tommy and Greg have made a movie together that was actually directed by Greg called Best Friends. And Tommy, I think I mentioned this to you earlier, was also uh made a show for hulu called the neighbors yeah the neighbors um which initially he was supposed to work on with tim and eric and then they had some sort of weird falling out where tim and eric said that uh they wanted it to be solely tommy and he wanted their creative input and tommy in typical tommy fashion said they're jealous of me they do not like me or something like that Mm. so uh, they actually did Kind of, uh, I know Tim and Art came out with something, not not uh, bedtime stories. There was another one that was like a sitcom thing. They did. And I they did like I don't know if it was called The Neighbors, but it was like them and like two old men or something like sitting around in a kitchen. Yeah, I think I don't, know, I don't know if that was the Awesome Show or not. It might have been an Awesome Show. I can't remember though. I don't know. We'll look it up. Or yeah, <clears throat> computer will grab it for us here. But uh, yes. Yeah, so I mean, it's. It's the sort of film that uh, I think everyone should see multiple times, but at least once in their lives. Uh, <laughs> the way he walks, he's so yeah. strange. See, that's why I said he w- I would not be surprised if he, like the reveal was he's a vampire. Yeah, I mean, in like we like I said earlier, he did toy around with that idea, uh, because he is <laughs> he is just weird enough. I mean, the movie's been described like he's an alien. Stuff like that, which again, it, it, that kind of goes back to me that like, well, yeah, he is yeah. an immigrant, so he is an alien, um, and all these other people are Americans, and so like he really doesn't fit in in this American world, mm-hmm. you know. But what he's brought to these people is, uh, or what he's brought to this movie is his experience from studying America and Americans, mm. but yet he still doesn't really fit in with this world you know he can no matter how much he tries to mimic american movies and american wealth and all that stuff tommy and johnny will always be seen as outsiders Mm. you know and i think that there's something really deep weirdly about that that is again totally not even intended but like because it's being made by an immigrant and because it's being made, and when you think about it with his limited, the limited knowledge aside, with his experience in mind, there's there's a lot of like like loneliness and sadness and miscommunication, mistranslation, yeah, with what's going on that I think creates something that's, uh, I don't know, like I, I I mean I literally compared it to Picasso. I don't know if I can go any higher than yeah. that. <laughs> It literally just feels like something that, like later on, people would get it, and that's kind of what happened. It 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 took a while, or at least a year or two, for it to start to catch on. And uh, like Miami Connection and like uh, Samurai Cop, it took you know a period of time for it to just be unknown, and then a small group to to bring it and start spreading it further and further. Mm-hmm. But in the case of all three of those movies. They all did that themselves. Like Tommy's promote, you know what his promotion for was for this? What? A billboard in Hollywood with his face on it that said the room, gave pretty much no information on it, had a spelling error, which was Tennessee, 
Williams's name, Tennessee, spelled wrong. <laughs> and that he kept up for years after the film was made at to the tune of five grand a week. Where does that, he get all this money from? Like $6 million to make I, like it. Like I said earlier, like, man, nobody knows. Yeah. Nobody knows. He, But he had enough wealth to spend $6 million on this. It's kind of the beauty of it, though. The but also, so he didn't promote it, though. He could have spent that all of that money promoting it just online, and it would have it would have done much better. Yeah. But so that means that yeah, the it promote, it's it's grassroots promotion, where you know it's what I wish I could have, where right. people just are like, you have to hear this, you have to hear this so much that it just spreads like wildfire through all these people who are influential in their own small limited social circles. Yeah. And then that just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger, you know. And the fact that, like, with Miami Connection, it took, like, 20, 30 years. With Samurai Cop, it took, like, 20 years. Mm. With The Room, it took, like, two. That's really, to me, shows just how important and how great this film really is. I And I mean it, great. This is the first film that has gotten to be on My Movies Better all by itself. That's because true. I knew I didn't need to ask my guests whether or not they'd like it, even if they had never seen it. I knew I would pick this if I ever had to put it in any anywhere it could fit if we were going to do romantic movies i was going to pick the room yeah right i almost picked it for revenge actually but i didn't think it had enough that's interesting that's that's what i thought it was kind of like yeah i and i i just didn't think it was enough of a revenge movie to to throw it in that was um, my first impression i mean like i also strongly think i don't need to put up a poll to know that a lot of people in the facebook group are already fans of it yeah this is the first time that a movie has the undisputed champion this week. No challengers, nope. 100%. It go, it's going, If it, I think I might have already put it in the Hall of Fame, but it is going, it isn't an untouchable. My movie's better, untouchables, 100% rated by me. I think it's one of the best movies of all time. I don't need to repeat all those things he said about why that is. Yeah, I know. But, yeah, I think... I need to watch it more. I need to... Yeah, I I um, kind of envious of your passion for this movie. Oh, I love it's it. It's like, man. do I? Uh, I don't know. I do need to watch it again though, because I actually have this dream to one day get good actors and retool the script, not necessarily rewrite it though, but try to take the same script and actually make it into a good movie. Because I think it's possible if you edit it in, if you change some of the way people act. The way things yeah. were shot, and without him standing over dictating of how it should be, like yep, maybe yep. Could actually... an, an actor that's good playing Johnny. Yeah. I think the movie works fine. It definitely wouldn't be some groundbreaking thing plot wise. No, no. But I think actually, like at its core, it works as just a movie about an affair. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's some. There's something classic Hollywood about that. There's so many classic films in Hollywood that are like this same setup. Yeah. And even some of the acting feels like Johnny is going for that for like a 1950s, 1940s, 1950s era of American cinema or even earlier, as opposed to a modern type of cinema. So uh, I don't know. All around one of my favorite movies, one of the most interesting movies I've ever seen. And uh, yeah, an untouchable film. And and no one because here's the thing what makes it so perfect as an untouchable no one can say anything bad about it because as i've outlined tonight you can literally be like yeah but here's the hilarious reason why that happened and and since tommy is so abstinent about 
ever or obstinate rather obstinate. about ever uh ever explaining or giving reasons or necessarily even engaging when someone tries to figure out what's actually going on or why things were done it makes it this like weird puzzle mystery type of thing to unravel yeah as you're watching it which is why another thing i think is like you know why has eminent rewatchability um the best mystery movies don't rely on uh the ending because the next time you watch it you don't care yeah they rely on the pl- the mysteries inside of it trying to figure out that by the time you reach the end it's the whole movie has left you being like wait a minute wait a minute yeah so you have to go back to unravel it as opposed to being like I, a whole movie is just leading up to the one M yeah, night. Like once you find out, then that's like, why, right. Why, why the watch reveal, it again? The, the one M night reveal where it's mm-hmm. like, Oh, that's what happened. And then you go back and watch it and you're like, well now all this shit falls apart because it was all, you know, especially, especially movies where you have a character hiding in plain sight as the bad guy, mm-hmm. because then it's like, even maybe a second time you watch it, it's interesting being like, Oh wow. It's so different to know that this is the bad guy when they're there the whole movie and you think they're a good guy but after that now it's like well there's no point in watching it you know this movie has so much in it and so much to dissect and uh and to think about that you can watch it i think over and over again um Mm -hmm. we're about at the end here we're now at the uh the fight between these two i know because mark just keeps coming you know that's that's the thing. I think I think Mark would have a chance. I mean, the fight poll was pretty close, but mm. I think also a lot of people. I voted for Johnny mainly because he's get that wild card quality. Yeah, I guess I could see that. In in like 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 I feel like like Mark, Mark is would be able to fight, but like Tommy, would be the one who would like smash a bottle when he was losing the fight and yeah. try to kill him. You know, Mark wouldn't take it that far. No, T- Mark is definitely the baby face, and Tommy's the heel. Because I really think most of this movie you can kind of like flip over, um, mm. and and Tommy's kind of villainous in a lot of ways, and as like as he starts to unravel more of the plot, he becomes more and more of a douche about it. And like I get it, it's like yeah, it's he's found out that his his wife or his future wife he's is like, is cheating on him, but his future. He's starting to be really a dick about it instead of just like being like, hey, fuck you guys, you're fucking having an affair. He's like trying to act like normal around mark but being like secretly angry at him <laughs> and, and he just looks evil yeah, too, and just, yeah like, we just he's been like like a vampire but like, uh, he just also, has this like presence his hairstyle is completely out of date he's got yeah. hair from like the 1980s yeah but he also constantly wears a suit like he he's like he's like business but he's in, the, in computers <laughs> yeah right but he never like he never fucking puts on like casual clothing it seems like he's always wearing like his mm-hmm. his no he doesn't work in computers he works at a bank no but uh the mother he made money in computers did they say or was that lisa that i you're right somebody talks about somebody yeah i thought the mother was talking about uh johnny working in computers or something like the computer market is like whatever some, some something no i think that was he was she did say that i think that was about lisa though oh uh, okay um because no johnny works at the bank because he didn't get a promotion right and he's talking about how he made the bank lots of money and he has the clients and anyway how is your sex life oh <laughs> um, uh, yeah that's right yeah you know, i mean hey it's fine it's totally confusing so it's easy to miss stuff in this but yeah johnny johnny is a banker 
So that makes sense why he dressed like that. But like from his hairstyle, you would think that he would come home and he'd be ripping off that fucking suit and throwing off in a nice know, sleeveless, right? sh- you know, Jethro Tull shirt. I did see him in a tank top maybe once. A, maybe a Judas Priest British Steel shirt. Yeah, poison no sleeves shirt or something. And fucking denim cut off jeans that are way too short. Like that's what he, and then like revving a motorcycle in his driveway. Like that's yeah. what he should be dressing like you would think from that hairstyle yeah he's either in a suit or naked in this movie yeah or he'd be like or 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 the exact opposite of that he'd be coming home and dressing like a goth vampire right (laughs) either one but not like a bank teller at all times which also makes me wonder is that when he was coming back for that surprise party was he coming home from work he must have been because he was dressed like that because you because you actually you do see him wear something else in the movie when he's, wear wearing, a tank top once. when he's wearing the tank top, yeah. uh, the blue like like uh, training pants, and red football yeah, like wide receiver gloves. <laughs> um, yeah, So, but other than that, it's just a suit at all times. Mm-hmm. So I feel like Tommy works a lot. And I don't know what bank he goes to, but I want to go to that bank because what bank is open until nighttime that right. you know of? And is, is that he's constantly working at this bank, so they must have good hours. Seriously. And the bank I went to today, it was open from 11 to 3. Like, who fucking does that? 11, 11 to, 3. to 3. 11 to 3. Well, it's Sunday. Yeah, but don't have that's, to a, that's not a t- they, 11 to 3. That's not it's a weird hour, time yeah. frame. It's just. <laughs> that's the, who does that for a time frame? Literally, yeah. banks. That's it. Nobody else says they're like, oh, yeah, I'll be in. Or, like, you know you know who has a time frame? Like, oh, yeah, I'm open from 11 to 3. Like, like rich women who have a store in, like, Beverly yeah. Farms. That like Manchester hus- by the yeah, Sea or some That bullshit. their, like, husband owns for them, and they sell pillows. Like, you know, or whatever it is. Or and it's never open. It's open, or something. it's open 11 to 3 on Tuesdays. <laughs> no one's ever in there. Every other Tuesday. Uh, yeah, it's just so, anyway. That's a little rant on banks. Uh, but, um... Yeah, now we're getting to really, here's the crux of the movie. It has another one of my favorite lines. In a few minutes, bitch. <laughs> um, and then uh, he shows her that literally this scene, like you could actually cut this scene in earlier in the movie and then go to other shit yeah. and then come back. And it would make more sense. So he's shown to her. Hey, look, bitch! I know you're having an affair. Yeah. It starts to make it, it. It comes more into that whole American experience of like two people who are so wrong for each other and who are like sticking together just because they're they're like they think they should, you know. Yeah. And so they're gonna force their marriage. Like I went through that in a relationship, from, yeah. you know. So like, and then and then after, you have the scene where you have the party. So then it makes sense that Johnny's like he's already told Lisa, and now Lisa's flaunting it in front of him. Which makes his rage make even more sense. Like, I already yeah, told you yeah. I knew, and I'm essentially being like, whatever, just end this and we'll be fine. Like, so there's a weird, like, continuity that goes on and makes no fucking sense. And you could cut this into a different place and then come back and have him kill himself and it would be fine. <laughs> it literally, the movie is just like, th- it, it could be spliced together in so many different ways because I don't think that there was ever a, like, clear direction mm-hmm. that he was going in, you know? So go, these are the events that happen. Let's just get it. Yep. Do it my way. Yep. I'm just going to do my movie and it's going to be the way I want it. But I'm also going to continually throw my hands up when people do shit I don't like. Right. And so, yeah, now we're coming up to uh, the big finale um, where Tommy, much like many of his favorite 
films uh, and plays. Tennessee Williams, I think, is a big influence on him. Uh, did like Cat on a Hut Tin Roof and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only this, this film is very similar to a couple of his plays. Uh, and uh, in fact, I was telling you that story earlier about the acting class that yeah. uh, they met in. Tommy, uh, and actually this scene, this scene is in the book and the movie, The Disaster Artist. To- one of Tommy's favorites was a uh, streetcar named Desire's uh, Stella scene, mm-hmm. um, which this death scene is very similar because essentially the Stella scene is supposed to be him losing it. And uh, most of the stage, most of the time when, when people stage it, he, he goes on a rampage through the set. Uh, the state whoever's playing Stanley and destroys lots of stuff on um, in the set. So he's basically just mimicking the things that he likes yeah. and haphazardly throwing them together. But since the plot is so simple, it still works as a movie. So it's like weirdly brilliant in, in ways that are totally unintentional. Here he goes. I know. Like he just calmly TV. walks like over to each object and like, yeah, he he's not storming around. around. He's, just, he's just like, Oh, yep. I got to break this next all right there do you see that when the tv smashes mm. that's an important thing there and also this brickwork here is another important thing uh this is the same the other side of this room i firmly believe is where they did the shooting of the like alleyway type scene yeah. where they're playing football mm-hmm. really close to each other and any any other scenes that took place there and i think that's uh either that's where the tv was just smashed or it is actually on top of the roof because the roof also has that brickwork. Yeah. And uh, it looks kind of similar. So all, yeah, everything was, but that also leads me to believe that that alleyway is, I guess, supposed to be like right outside of the house. And I think all of this takes place in an apartment building. Yeah, they show the outside of the apartment yep. building. Like the- Which to me means that, weirdly, was this like, is like neighbors the same thing as the room? just oh, like shit, like yeah. did he just make the same thing again just like with more characters right <laughs> not sure i've never seen neighbors i don't know if it's still on hulu i feel like i should check it out uh after reading a little bit about it but um and i kind of want to see if it's similar to what tommy's doing in the room but now we have he keeps a gun in like a little treasure chest box is that the same gun from the drug dealer yeah i think so could be or chris R. That, ooh, that's an interesting thing i wonder if that's on purpose like that whole event just take place so he can like, get into possession of a gun like, so now he had, that's how he got the gun yeah i don't know if that's unintentional or it's just supposed to be like oh no obviously johnny has a gun he's an american <laughs> all americans have right guns. yeah because yeah, to me this is where the film should end right here this should have been the last shot of the film yeah. him killing himself fade to black instead it's fade to black fade back Instead of just cutting to them running in the room, no, you have a fade out. Yeah. So it's like, what did they come back hours later, or did they run? Were they <laughs> outside? Weird shit with time in this movie. I'm saying. Like, yeah. You don't really know how much time passes between. This 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 part has another one of my favorite moments when Denny's when uh, Mark's like about Denny. He's like, leave leave him, let him be with him. Like, <laughs> and then they walk away for like two seconds and then just come back. Like it's just oh, yeah. so awkwardly shot and blocked and directed and definitely just wanted he wanted to get this moment for everyone to be crying over his dead body and yeah, the whole, right. you know cool death scene here he goes he kisses but everyone him. will be super sad he like kisses is he, it's like his 
like his <laughs> eyebrow or his eyelid is where he gets some him. part of yeah. So awkward. So great. So amazing. <laughs> it's pretty great. One of the hey, one it's of, putting a smile on my face. Yeah, so. exactly. It, how can you not enjoy this shit? You know, it's like uh, it, like it's why I actually still really enjoy watching soap operas. When I was younger, my mom used to watch, uh, I think it was One Life to Live. Mm-hmm. And uh, she wasn't really into like all soap operas, but she watched that one and a couple other ones every once in a while. And so I like would sometimes just sit down and watch it and would get this like weird sort of more like comedic yeah. uh, uh, satisfaction from it. I was like, this shit is fucking hilarious. It's sometimes. just so ridiculous. Yeah. And it's like, you, and, and, and I think this, the room has a, quality a lot of that quality in it too i definitely consider it to be the kind of film that uh all these actors would fit right in on a, a soap opera I guess, yeah definitely so yeah um that's about all i have to say we're coming up to the end here about <sighs> to hit the credits um i want to thank you for joining me tonight thanks uh, for having me as always uh but do you have any other thoughts on the movie i think we covered pretty yeah, much everything yeah, i think we did too um, i'll definitely be watching it again yeah um yeah i'll be watching it again yeah <laughs> so yeah uh again if you've listened to all this and never saw the movie uh this is just the the <laughs> disclaimer of why did you do that to yourself right. but go see the movie uh, for everybody else, you already know how much you enjoy her. And I know I'm sure there's people who don't think it's as good as I do. That's obviously a possibility. They're wrong. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> but they are wrong. Uh, it is a fantastic movie, but it's not everybody's cup of tea. I understand that. Um, so this week, we decide, I just decided to do this, uh, as I had said, give the room its own full episode next week i haven't really decided what i'm going to be doing uh as of yet i'm not sure if i'm going to keep up in this direction or go back to the original format uh i still have a bunch of guests that i'm waiting to get on so if you've asked to be a guest and we've talked about it don't worry you know we'll get you we'll get you on here once we figure out where we're going uh so Stay tuned, as always. Uh, check out uh, any of the other stuff that we've been working on, uh, like Neil Breen, Neil Genesis Breen Vangelion, whatever the fuck I was calling it. Uh, the the series on the Neil Breen movies, obviously the Big Show, um, which you were the guest on last week. The Big Show. The Big Show, as I call it. Yeah, that's my movie's better. Oh, show. okay. Yeah. Was like, oh, uh, and uh, check out. Jamie's podcast, Story Burst. Yeah. Um, which is also available. I've been on it. Um, we also do a show called Whatever Time every once in a while, where it's just sort of like weird, irreverent, whatever comedy. Self explanatory, whatever time. Yeah, yeah. We just talk about shit. Sometimes it's serious, mostly it's not. Mostly uh, so, not. yeah. Like, share, subscribe. Um, always remember, join Facebook. You can follow Story Burst. My movie's better on Facebook. We also have uh, My Movie's Better. Facebook group where you can vote on movies. It's and, fun uh, to support your friends. Yeah, and you know we have fun and general discussion and polls and all that sort of stuff. And uh, you know you get on the group, you make a good comment, you might get mentioned on an episode. 
Um, you might even be able to be on one of the episodes. So, as always, if you'd like to be a guest, give me a ring, give me a message, and uh, tell me what you know, what movie you'd like to cover, what theme you'd like to cover. We'll work something out. So, uh, yeah, that's all I got for today. And uh, we'll finish this episode off with a few clips uh, that I threw together from the movie. So enjoy and have a good night. See ya. Anything for my What's going on here? Why are you doing this? I don't believe it. Do you understand what you're doing? You're going to destroy Johnny. He's very sensitive. How can you do this? You make me sick. Why are you doing this? What are you talking about? You make me sick. Why are you doing this? I feel like I'm sitting on an atomic bomb waiting for it to go off. I get out of there as fast as possible. You know, I, I get my pants, I get my shirt, and I get out of there. And then about halfway down the stairs, I realize that I, I have misplaced. I, uh, I've forgotten something. Mm-hmm. Uh, me underwears. You must be kidding. Underwear. I got the picture. Yeah. <laughs> so I come back to get it, you know, yeah. and I pretend that I need a book. You know, uh-huh. I'm looking for my book. And then I, I reach in and put the underwear in my pocket and sort of slide out real quick. Uh-huh. Well, Claudette, she saw it sticking out uh-huh. in my pocket. She pulls it out, and she's uh, showing everybody me underwears. You must be kidding, underwear. I got the picture. Yeah, I don't know what to do. That's life. Yeah. Uh, hey, Johnny. Hey, Daddy. Up, you guys want to play some football? I got to go see Michelle in a little bit to make out with her. Oh, that jerk Harold. He wants me to give him a share of my house. That house belongs to me. He has no rights. I am not giving him a penny. Fifteen years ago, we agreed that house belongs to me. Now the value of the house is going up and he's seeing dollar signs. Everything goes wrong at once. Nobody wants to help me, and I'm dying. You're not dying, Mom. I got the results of the test back. I definitely have breast cancer. I don't love John. I don't even like him. I had sex with someone else. You can't be serious. Hey, what's up, Mark? Oh, hi, Mark. Catch it. What's going on, Mark? Oh, can you just tell us about an underwear issue? No, that he don't had? break. Don't. Underwear. Dude, it's, <laughs> underwear. It's, it's, it's embarrassing, man. I don't want to get into it. Underwear, man. Come on.
Honduras. I got the picture. Yeah.